This is the Feast of St. Luke in the rubrics of the Book of Common Prayer after the renewal of the liturgy. Uh, we kept every Sunday as a remembrance of the Lord's resurrection. Uh, in the old calendar, you bumped the Sunday even if it was the feast of Mother Cabrini's shoes, you, you had. So, so uh, what we do now is that a parish church who has a patron or a title of some sort, like St. Luke's, actually St. Luke's Day was yesterday, the 18th, but we transfer to the Sunday and celebrate it on the Sunday so we can have the patronal feast on a Sunday. What I'm going to do this morning is kind of didactic, I'm going to talk a little bit about, you know, how come we have churches dedicated to saints. I'm going to say something very quick about that, uh, something about St. Luke, something about St. Luke's gospel, something about the gospel we read today from Luke, and some things about how we might understand uh, the privilege it is of being a church dedicated to St. Luke, the evangelist. Uh, the erection of churches in, in the early church, the color for St. Luke's Day is red because St. Luke's was a martyr. So red is the color for martyrs. And in the early church, churches were built over the tombs or the sites of the Christian martyrs, and normally if the church was built over, let's say, St. Luke's church, that's where it, what it was called. So that's where it came from. There are more churches in this diocese dedicated to St. Luke than any other dedication. St. Luke's Los Gatos, St. Luke's Hollister, St. Luke's Halone, and St. Luke's Atescadero. So St. Luke must have loomed large in the days when Bishop Block flew in an airplane over this property and dropped a sack of flour on the land that he had to build it here, you know, that, that sort of thing. So we have a lot of St. Luke's uh, dedications, and I think there's a reason for that. Uh, years ago, the letter head at St. Luke's uh, said, St. Luke the physician, which is another way to describe St. Luke, and in the Episcopal Church, uh, a number of hospitals uh, that are, have Episcopal origins are dedicated to St. Luke. St. Luke, San Francisco is an example of uh, that sort of thing. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about something that I, has been on my mind for a while, so I'm going to say it this appropriate now, and that is that all of the Gospels in the New Testament are anonymous. They don't tell us who wrote them. The people who wrote them didn't say, I, Luke, am writing this. So how, come we ha how, how can we feel assured uh, that these are the people? Well, we can feel assured to the extent that we understand that in the broad tradition from the jump, those names were attached to the Gospels that we have. So there was a tradition that predates the canonical ordering of the biblical books in the New Testament to say Mark wrote this, Matthew wrote this, Luke wrote this, John wrote this. But you don't get it from uh, the gospel itself. There, there's no attribution to them. But the tradition with a capital T is the location for uh, finding that out. 
There's no reason to doubt the authorship of Luke's gospel, and even if you do, what difference does it make on one level, right? Some people just have to, you know, do something. I don't know. Uh, but there's no reason to believe that Luke was not a doctor. There are more healing stories in Luke's gospel than in any of the other gospels. Luke speaks more about issues of economic justice and equity and stewardship over the creation than any other gospel. And Luke is extremely concerned about the work of the Holy Spirit. He's the great theologian of the Holy Spirit. So when I was in seminary, what I was taught was the gospel according to St. Luke is about the presence of the Holy Spirit in the person of Jesus Christ. And the book of Acts, which is Luke's volume two, the same person wrote both. Uh, it is about the transfer of the Holy Spirit from the person of Jesus to the people of God, you and me, the church. So that means that the church becomes both the beneficiary and the fiduciary of the Holy Spirit of God. That we have stewardship and custody over God's spirit in the world, God's Holy Spirit, and that's an important thing. Luke believed, and his gospel demonstrates this, and so does the book of Acts, that it was part of the plan and purpose of God that the church come into being. Many of the gospel writers, and certainly Paul, and some of his letters, give us the, gives us the idea that, well, Jesus is going to come again any minute. And by the time you get to Luke, you get, he hasn't come yet. <laughs> right? Well, are we going to make any sense of this at all or think perhaps uh, this is part of the, the, the God's plan? And much of the new writing uh, in New Testament studies, particularly from N.T. Wright and others, uh, wishes to emphasize that the kingdom of God is not somewhere else, it's here. So the values that Luke speaks of and Jesus speaks of in Luke's gospel and in the book of Acts have to do with making present the values of the kingdom of God, which are the things that Luke emphasizes in his gospel. And so we have... Uh, Luke talking about uh, that. Uh, some other things. He's the great theologian of the Holy Spirit, and he's also uh, the historian of the New Testament in many people's view. Uh, his Greek, it, he's the Shakespeare of the New Testament. His Greek is the best, which means it prob was probably his first language, and he certainly was a Gentile Christian, and was concerned about the history of God's work in the world. So I always talk all the time during Easter, the great 50 days, about the fourfold shape and the importance of the history of salvation, and that's what we read in the Bible, both in the Hebrew Bible and in the Christian scriptures about salvation history. And what we learned and what the early Christians learned was salvation history is not just reading about past events or past stories of the grand narrative of God's uh, presence to the creation. But they began to realize through their own prayer and thinking and, pray, and, and praying that somehow their own personal history was wrapped up with this. That each, each, 
our own personal history is a species of salvation history. And anybody who wishes to live the examined life or a life that is uh, thoughtful realizes that we're moving in a direction, or we, we maybe want to move in a direction that is positive and godly in many ways. And so that history and what happens and what happened has something to do with the history of salvation. So Luke writes about the history this, week, this way. He talks about the law and the prophets, the Hebrew Bible. He talks about the earthly ministry of Jesus and his teachings with the focus that I've mentioned, or foci that I've mentioned. And finally, he talks about the era of the church, which is principally in the book of Acts and its importance and necessity and how important it is that we, the people of God, uh, live into those uh, promises So let me say something to you about the uh, gospel for this morning. I brought it. I I want to read a section of it to you now. Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report spread about him through all the surrounding country. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. They began to say to them, Today, he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, one of the things we learn from this passage is that Jesus knew how to read Hebrew. He could unroll the scroll and read. So somewhere, somewhere along the way, he got, he got to Hebrew school, and he learned how to read Hebrew. Nobody was speaking Hebrew by the time of Jesus was gone. They were speaking Aramaic. Some of the Old Testament is in Aramaic, principally the book of Daniel. And Aramaic, I would say, is something like the difference between Spanish and Italian. That may not be a completely... Uh, correct way to talk about it, but it's, it's the, that's the difference in some ways. And it was, the ling- it was the language, and a lot of New Testament scholars nowadays, not when I was in seminary, they were just copying to this, uh, assume that Jesus also spoke Greek. He lived right next to a Greek town, Sepphoris, and he and his father no doubt went over and did jobs over there. And um, they've done a lot of research uh, on the Greek word tecton, which is what is referred to Jesus as tecton and Joseph. Well, it meant maybe making wooden implements for eating and certain kinds of carp- woodwork, but it also could mean stonemason. So maybe he was, they, they knew how to build stuff out of rocks and stones and that sort of thing as part of what it is he learned. 
But the, the uh, thing that I wanted to emphasize is bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I think he may, Ernest may say something, but he may be thinking of Jubilee there in some ways. We don't have any evidence that really ever, anybody ever had a Jubilee year, although they talked a lot about it. That was when every, all debts were forgiven, property was returned to uh, people who had, uh, other people had taken f uh, for financial purposes and so forth. But we don't know ever, wh whether that kind of real Jubilee ever occurred. But we talk about that a lot in the, our common life in the Episcopal Church these days because what it means is not some, uh, it's like thinking tomorrow morning I'm going to get up at 5.30 and I'm going to give away all my stuff. Right? Nobody's going to do that. St. <laughs> Francis of Assisi did it, and maybe a few people like it, but nobody's going to do it. And what Luke is interested in in his gospel is this. He's interested in right relationship with your stuff. And that means how much do you accumulate, how much do you give away, uh, where's the center of your life in terms of what it is that's important uh, in the material sense, you know. There's an old thing we used to say in stewardship campaigns, and another thing is if you want to know what you value in your life, look at the stubs in your checkbook. Right? And then you'll find some idea of what it is that means a lot to you. So Luke is concerned about those values uh, when he wrote his gospel. And uh, it's something that is important because we believe that uh, our history is part of the history of salvation. We believe it's important to have right relationship. We believe that it is important to understand the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen us, to give us the ways and the means to be able to meet the challenges and the opportunities that are in front of us. When we read on Pentecost about the descent of the Holy Spirit on the disciples and the apostles, what happened when they came out the, the upper room and began to speak? They were not using ecstatic speech, glossolalia. They were speaking in a way that brought to everybody there, no matter what their language, clarity, understanding. And the people who read that chapter, read that part in the book of Acts, in the time in which it was said, you know what this is? This is the reversal of what has happened in the Tower of Babel. So when God confuses the speech of the people because of their arrogance, and they can't understand each other anymore, we see now the work of the Holy Spirit reversing that. I mean, it didn't last forever, did it? I mean, there's a lot of stuff... <laughs> But it is, it, it, it's there for the purpose of telling us, you know, it's possible to get clear. It's possible to get clear about God's purpose for you. And it's possible along the way to be able uh, to be a transparency and a reflection of God's grace and love. We've had many. I want to read. It's, we have this in the bulletin every week, our mission statement. 
You know, mission statements can be tricky. Years ago, there was a New Yorker cartoon uh, about 20 years ago, and um, husband and wife were sitting in the living room, and the wife looked at her husband, and she said, no, I do not think our marriage would be improved by a mission statement. (laughs) (laughs) The mission of St. Luke's Parish is to worship God faithfully together, to be people of Christ, and by the grace of the Holy Spirit, to do God's work in this place. So, thank God for being in a church where uh, St. Luke is our patron. And remember, God needs you in big and small ways to fulfill his plan for the cosmos. So give thanks for the opportunity. Amen. Amen.